A reading from Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kadar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Hear the word of the Lord. I'll be reading the news or listening on the radio to what's going on in the world. And sometimes the, the sheer awfulness of this world we inhabit just smacks me in the face. It can be overwhelming. It just sort of hits you right here. And you're like, God, I'm so glad that I know you. Like, I don't know how people do life without you. You ever felt that? Like, how do people get through this without him? And then I find myself asking, how is this the world that we live in? And then you look at the injustices that you see on the TV and you find yourself thinking, man, I hope that, that God gets you. I hope that hell exists. I hope that you don't get away with this. And then inside you kind of have this quiet, monologue sort of a conversation-y thing going on. Seriously, God, I don't know how much more I can take of this. I don't know how much more of this world I can take. Please, would you get me out of here? I just want to go to heaven. Well, this is precisely what's going on in Psalm 120. The psalmist starts by... um, observing the external reality in verse 1. He then prays a vertical prayer to God in verse 2. He then has a horizontal conversation with his adversaries in verse 3 and 4. And then finally in verses 5 through 7, he kind of talks to himself internally. And that's really, you know, if you think about it, how we process life. We um, observe what's going on out there. We then pray to the one who is up there about what's going on out there. We then engage with the people who are over there. And then we process our thoughts in here and in here. And that's what we see the psalmist doing in Psalm 120. He, He observes, he prays. He engages, and then he processes. Now, another way of looking at Psalm 120 is viewing it like a painting. Verse 1 is like like the background, right? The hills and the trees, that sort of thing. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. So, Underlying this whole psalm, there in the background, operating as the backdrop, is the knowledge that we can call on our Father in our distress, and we can be sure of an answer. This is the backdrop. And then verse 2 starts to paint in some of the, char- some of the characters. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. 
Okay, so now we know why the psalmist has written this psalm. Now, there are no names mentioned, but there's enough for us to appreciate what's going on. It seems that someone, somewhere, has been telling lies, which has prompted the writing of this psalm. Now, notice um, how, how, though, this psalmist kind of makes the people into a caricature of their most prominent feature. You know, he doesn't talk about people who lie. Instead, he talks about lying lips. Like oversized, larger-than-life lips. Think of the Rolling Stones logo, right? And it's not people who practice deception. Instead, it's deceitful tongues. You know what it's like when someone wrongs you that suddenly uh, they are that thing that hurt you. They are no longer people with shades of gray and good and bad mixed in. Suddenly, they are that feature. Someone who maybe who stuck their nose into your business is now a big nose. Someone who made a promise and then broke it is now a big pair of lying lips. Someone who hurt you physically or emotionally is now like a big fist. You can't think of them without thinking of that feature. It's, it's like in a sense that they are now that thing. And so the psalmist has, has painted this background scene in verse 1, and now he's started to fill in the details with these larger-than-life caricatures of these, uh, you know, of, of these people who have hurt him. And then in verse 3, What will he do to you and more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom, of the broom bush. And you can sense the hurt and the frustration oozing out in these words, right? Now, the broom bush was a plant that grew in the desert up to 12 feet high. You know, I'm six feet, and this grew up to 12 feet high. So it was substantial. In fact, this is the plant that Jonah took shelter under. And, you know, and the charcoal which was made from the broom bush um, was charcoal that could burn very long and very hot. In fact, one commentator says that, you know, the coals of the broom bush and arrows mentioned in this verse are the things that would be used to overthrow a city. So, in short, the psalmist is saying, when he says this, he's saying, you know, God's going to get you. And so to keep with our art theme, it's a bit like the psalmist sees God painting over the figures on the canvas. And that's what verse 4 is. It's a recognition that a standard of justice exists, that God is a just God and that he will not leave the guilty unpunished. So the psalmist has painted the background of God's faithfulness. He's then filled in the caricatures of these enemies with the most, most prominent feature. And now he's gone and he's painted over them. You're not going to get away with this, he says. And then, in finally, and then finally in verse 5 through 7, we see the main subject of the painting of Psalm 120. We see a solitary figure. There in the midst of his enemies, right? Now, his enemies haven't been punished yet. 
That's at some time in the future. They are, but they are very, very real now. They're a very real reality. They're a very, a very present reality. And so I see this lonely figure stood there, you know, in the crowd of his enemies, looking at something in the far-off distance. Verse 5, Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. This, friends, is the follower of God at odds with the world in which he or she lives. This is the follower of God being rubbed the wrong way by the world around him or her. Now, these, these two places, Meshech and Kedar, they were real places with real tribes that lived far away from Israel, one in the southeast and one in the north. And they were hostile warrior tribes. They weren't good. And so this just really underscores this language which we heard earlier of the, you know, you know, the language of the arrows and the, uh, and the charcoals, right? And so what the psalmist is saying in verse 5 through 7 is he's saying, I feel under attack. I feel far from home. He's saying, woe is me. Woe to me. He says, I feel out of sorts. He feels like no one around him shares his values or uh, no one around understands the kind of world that he longs to create in the name of God. And he's been there for a long time. This has been his reality. He says, right? He says, too long have I lived. He's been there a long time. And maybe you empathize. Maybe you look at this world around you and you're just weary. Woe to me. And yet verse 7 tells us that the psalmist has never compromised what he knows to be right. He keeps on speaking the truth, right? It says here, when I speak, when I speak. He keeps on advocating for peace, but being the only one doing this is a lonely life. Just ask any Christian student who has no school friends who are Christians. Just ask anyone who's the only Christ follower in their family. Just ask anyone in construction or any office worker who goes into work day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, and they keep on hearing the same filthy talk and negative attitudes and the same verbal tearing down of, of, of folks. You know, the same hopelessness. That's, that's what they hear. And sometimes it can feel like you're in Meshech, that you're far from home. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. And there's only so much a person can take, right? Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 says that part of the Christian life is admitting, is acknowledging that we are foreigners and strangers on this earth and that we're looking forward to a country of our own. So it should come as no surprise when we feel like this, when we feel out of sorts, when we feel like we're the only one. And I know that that COVID has just sharpened the edge of this loneliness for many of us. Not only do we feel spiritually distant or spiritually apart, but now we feel physically distant, physically apart. Not only is there a spiritual barrier, but now there's a physical barrier as well. Leslie shared this excellent article on the Cornerstone Connected page. 
It's, it's called your surge, your surge capacity is depleted. It's why you feel awful. And the author, Tara Hale, makes the case that at the start of COVID, we were, um, we were in this kind of mode called, called surge capacity. And she explains that surge capacity is a collection of adaptive systems, mental and physical, that humans draw on for short-term survival in action. In, in acutely stressful situations such as natural disasters. But natural disasters occur over a short period. Pandemics are different. The disaster itself stretches out indefinitely. Hale then asks, what happens when you struggle to renew your surge capacity because the emergency phase has now become chronic? The emergency phase has now become chronic. It's just stretching on and on. And this is a real question that we need to answer. And so one thing that we're trying to do, you know, as a church, through Church 414, is to renew ourselves by, by reconnecting with each other and reconnecting with the Lord. And I don't know if this will replenish our surge capacity, but I do know that it will create a fertile environment for spiritual growth where our soul deep needs are met and where loneliness gets swallowed up in community. And so I really hope that your 414 cluster is starting to come together. Since Adam and Eve sinned we've been longing to be with God and with each other without sin getting in the way and the longing of Adam and Eve which is exactly the same longing of you and me is that we can be with God walking with him in the cool of the day I mean I'm awed by that you know by that by by those images in revelation of hundreds of thousands of of of, of folks worshiping God I love that but my soul is yearning for and crying out for something a little bit simpler. Genesis 3 verse 8, to walk with God in the cool of the day. And so in a sense, the, 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 the whole of our life, our purpose, our goal is trying to fulfill that longing of a restored relationship with, with our creator, with our father. And so... They're behind our jobs and our families and our investments and our holidays and our groceries and school and retirement is this, is this meta-narrative of us longing to get back to Eden, of a world longing to get back to God. And even if you look at our sins, right, our sins are just us acting out in a bad way, but, but, but acting out in a way that stems from this internal longing for God. And so we do stupid stuff in stupid ways, things that actually serve to alienate ourselves from God and from each other. Verse 7 says that we were made for peace, that we were made for shalom. And yet all around us we're experiencing war. And Psalm 120 is a song to lead you through, through battle and onto the other side. Now, speaking of battle, I'm reading a book called The Way of the Warrior by Erwin McManus. 
He's a pastor in the States, and he speaks into this idea that, that we can create God's shalom, that we can create God's peace in this world even when we're surrounded by adversaries and adversities. He says this, it may seem like a small thing, but when, when you get up in the morning and face your fears, you are participating in the redemption of your universe when you refuse to allow yourselves when you refuse to allow yourself to be paralyzed by the uncertainty of tomorrow and set forth with courage and faith, you become part of creating a new world, a better world. He also says this, I have come to know this one truth most certainly. The world within you will create the world around you. Let me say that again. Maybe you can repeat with me. The world within you will create the world around you. He also says this, that the peace that your soul longs for is the very peace that the world needs. Isn't that incredible? The peace that your soul longs for is the very peace that the world needs. And then he goes on to say, it's, say this, I cannot speak of peace and not speak of Jesus, for it's Jesus alone who leads us to the way of peace. Right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and the way that he won us this peace was through the violence of the cross. We have to go through the battle to reach the peace on the other side. It says this very thing in Colossians 1. For God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Peace through violence. Peace through the battle. Listen to these words from McManus. He says, I am convinced that many people have lost their faith in God because they have confused source with process. Yes, God is the source of all peace, and that source is available to all of us freely. The process through, or the process though, requires struggle and resilience and does not come without a cost. The process though requires struggle and resilience and does not come without a cost. Friends, God's, God's peace, God's shalom is only won by fighting a battle. And Psalm 120 is that song that leads us through the battle. And so as we leave our psalmist, we see his struggle. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. There is a, a, a fundamental break that takes place between the person and the world, between the person and culture, between the person and society, when God, through the Holy Spirit, transforms them. Things are never the same again. And so this, and so this peace that the psalmist longs for is the shalom of God himself. He's not just talking about the absence of conflict or the absence of war. No, peace according to the Bible or shalom is this concept or it's this idea of everything being made right again. 
Shalom is what happens, is, is what results when Jesus, Jesus dovetails everything by the sheer force of his glory and his will and his loveliness. Full shalom will be waking up in the morning without anxiety, without worry, without financial concerns, without self-obsession, without loneliness, without that hole inside that nothing seems to fill. This is shalom. This is what I am for peace means. Are you for peace? And yet the psalmist isn't there yet, right? Psalm 120 doesn't end with a triumphal conclusion. There's no ending that resounds with words of hope. There's no hallelujah or amen at the end. The psalmist ends with, with, the, with the psalmist right in the middle of the struggle. Feeling that tension, feeling unsettled, feeling at odds. That's where this psalm ends in verse 7. So where's the hope? Where's the hope for me and for you? Where does this leave us this morning? How can we walk away from this without feeling totally depressed? And the answer is in four little words, four words sandwiched between the psalm number and the psalm itself. Four words, a song of ascents. A song of ascents. These songs of ascent were, were, were to be sung in community. These, these songs of ascent were to be sung in motion. They were written to be sung by the pilgrims as they traveled in groups, as they hiked through the Judean countryside on their way to Jerusalem, as they gradually um, ascended through the landscape. Okay, here's a sidebar. The Dead Sea is 34 kilometers from Jerusalem. That's like from North Gore to Eastside Mario's over in Bell's Corners, right? Not far. Now, the shore of the Dead Sea is 430 meters below sea level, right? It's the lowest place on earth. Just 34 kilometers away, Jerusalem is 754 meters above sea level. That's a whopping difference in 34 34 kilometers of 1,184 meters. And that's why, my friends, we call these the Song of Ascents. Sidebar done. And this Song of Ascent, Psalm 120, is the starting point. This is the first psalm. This is the launch pad. These are the starting blocks. And that's why it sounds a bit lonely. Because when we choose to walk together towards God, we start from loneliness. And so the question is, can we find community in our loneliness? Can we find community in our struggle? Well, I would say the only true community is is when we share our struggle, when we share our loneliness. The only true, true community comes out of loneliness and comes out of struggle. Here's how it works, okay? I'd like you to imagine one of the pilgrims, let's call her Marge, and she's, uh, and she's traveling to Jerusalem, and she's singing uh, this, this uh, song. She's, she, she's singing, Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. And then the pilgrim in front, Lars, looks back, in her, look, look, looks back at her and says, You as well? I feel exactly the same way. And then later, 
That afternoon, Sid the Pilgrim sings, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Or however it goes. Now, he's in a dry riverbed, and his words echo off the walls of the wadi. Now, Mickey the Pilgrim is following about half a kilometre behind, and he's tired and he's thinking of turning back, but, but, but when he hears Sid, he shouts ahead to him. He says, what, you are for peace as well? You are for shalom like me? You want God's full reign to be experienced here on earth? No way, so do I. And Mickey catches up with Sid, and they have a jolly old time as they walk together. And this, my friends, is what community looks like. It's journeying together. It's, it's really taking those experiences that we're tempted to live through in isolation and instead bringing them to the table and realizing that we're not alone. So what is community? I think that community is the refusal to struggle alone. Community is the refusal to struggle alone. Friends, there are others who are struggling like us. There are others who identify and empathize with us. There are others who, if we have the courage to share our struggle, that they would say, no way, me too. This is why self-help groups or 12-step groups work. Because the thing that you're struggling with and tempted to be silent about instead becomes the very thing that leads you into community. I'm lonely. I'm unhappy. I feel depressed. I feel far from home. When we voice these things, you know, COVID is ruining me. My, my, my surge capacity is absolutely depleted. When we voice these things, it's at that moment that we realize that there are others singing exactly the same songs as we are, traveling in the same direction as us. 1 Kings 19 verse 14. God's prophet Elijah says, I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Have you ever felt like that? And yet in verse 18 of 1 Kings 19, God sees Elijah's one and he raises him 6,999. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Sometimes our calculation is way off, right? Elijah, you are not alone. And you in your living room, in your kitchen, in your car, listening to this, wherever you are, you are not alone. There are other people singing the same song as you. There are other people traveling in the same direction as you. Now you just need to find them and walk together. And that's why we're doing Church 414, so that we can reconnect with, with people who are on the same journey as us. Because we need fellowship. Yes, we need Jesus, but we also need each other. We need to draw from each other's strength. We need to know that, that Meshech is not our ultimate reality You see, Church 414 is about strength in numbers. Church 414 is a lifeline. It's choosing community over loneliness. It's the the mentality of the penguins, right? That we're stronger when we're together. 
And so for the sake of your soul and the sake of your sanity, I would ask you to call someone and start forming your Church 414 cluster because you are not the only struggling one. You are not the only lonely one. So why not struggle together? 